Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and uh, normally right alongside uh, is my uh, co-host and good friend, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, but she's running a little bit late this morning, but we've uh, got a great show for you this morning, and uh, as soon as she comes on board, I'll, uh, I'll bring her out. Um, but uh, just want to thank everybody for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf Show. It's uh, always a pleasure and an honor uh, to have you uh, join us every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, what I'm going to do before I tell you a little bit about the shows this morning is I'm going to remind everybody about how they can tune into the program. Uh, If you go to blogtalkradio.com and simply type in Women of Golf, that will take you to the the, uh, main show page. And, of course, uh, every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, will be front and center right there. But for some reason, if you can't join us live, not to worry, uh, just visit that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf. And uh, just scroll down the page a little till you find the on-demand section. And uh, all of the previously aired shows, including this morning's, uh, are there. Uh, you'll find them there in their entirety uh, with the recorded version. So you can listen uh, whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, but we're glad that you joined us this morning. You can also uh, tune in during, uh, through iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now TuneIn.com. And again, just type in Women of Golf, and that will take you there as well. Uh, if you want to reach out to us during the live broadcast uh, anytime, you're welcome to call into the show. The number is area code 347-945-5855. Uh, or if you want to reach out to either Cindy or I, uh, the best way to do that is uh, through our emails. And Cindy's is cindy at cindymillergolf.com. And mine is at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, and don't forget to join me every Thursday evening on Golf Talk Live here again on the blogtalkradio.com network. You just simply type in Golf Talk Live instead of Women of Golf, and uh, you can catch me there every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, got some great shows, including a very interesting Coach's Corner panel this week, and uh, a fellow Canadian is going to be joining me uh, a little bit later on the broadcast. So make sure you tune in Thursday evening for that show. Um, I got a great. We actually have a great show for you this morning. We're going to be starting off with, uh, with uh, our first guest is the winner of this past weekend's Symmetra Tour event, the eighth annual Island Resort Championship, and uh, her name is Rajin Liu, and uh, also goes by Rachel, which we'll call her this morning. And uh, just let me tell you a little bit about her, uh, and then a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by a top 50 LPJ teaching uh, pro, uh, Maria Palazzola. And she's also a Golf Channel Academy lead instructor. She'll be joining us on the second half of the show. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about uh, Rajin. Uh, this is her second year on the Symmetra Tour. And uh, this past Sunday's win at the 8th Annual Island Resort Championship was her first career uh, professional uh, victory. Uh, she earned a, uh, a whopping 26000 uh, plus uh, in her, uh, her purse and uh, jumped 26 spots in the Volvic race for the card uh, to number five. Uh, at the end of the season, the top 10, of course, uh, in the Volvic race for the card will earn their LPJ Tour memberships for 2019. Uh, next up for uh, Rajin is the first ever Prasco Charity Championship at TPC Rivers Bend in Mainville, Ohio. So let me uh, bring her out, and as I said, we'll wait for Cindy to join us in a little bit. Um, good morning, Rajin. How are you? Good morning, Ted. I'm good. How are you? It's my pleasure to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you. And first and foremost, let me congratulate you on uh, on your win. Uh, that's uh, quite a feat. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Let's talk a little bit about your win, something that, that kind of caught my eye a little bit. Um, and we'll get into some other questions here in a moment. Um, but you actually injured yourself a little bit. You tweaked your back a little bit. Uh, I, I guess, from my understanding, was in the final round. 
Um, what happened, do you think? And, uh, and tell us how you managed to overcome that to, to uh, close out the championship. So um, it happened in our final round of hole number 14. I was um, 11 under at that point, and I have no idea what a, the score is behind me because I wasn't the leader group. And um, that was a reachable par four. So what I'm thinking is get another birdie or at least put it as close to the green as possible. So I really try to hit that shot as hard as I can to drive it pretty hard. And my right foot slipped when I started my downswing. And, but I still keep mm. going, like keep turning. And that I think there's a little separation like on my lower back. And I don't feel that much pain on that hole, but the pain started on hole number 15. And I was talking to my dad because right. he's on my back. And he's like, just be patient. Right. And let's just finish the final four holes and you should be fine. I mean, and he's like, don't worry about the score. We will be fine. Just do whatever you can and finish, and we will still be proud of you. Wow. Um, now, is your dad always on the bag for you? Does he, is he caddy for you quite a bit? Uh, yeah, I will say most of the time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is he a pretty good caddy? Um, I think so, yeah. With the first win with him, he's pretty good. <laughs> So you'll keep him. You're going to keep him on the bag a little bit longer, maybe. Yes, yes, that's what we plan for because his back is also not that good. He has a this um, the hernia disc. So I don't know if Herniated. I want to keep him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully his back will hold out for a few more tournaments, anyways, and and maybe you'll get another win together. So I'm sure he was uh, equally as excited as you were, um, Rajin, to uh, to see you win that that first tournament. I'm sure he was just equally as excited as you were. Yeah, my dad and my mom is both pretty excited. I mean, it's been like a really emotional roller coaster for all of us. Right. Well, that's uh, one of the things about playing uh, on tour is it's always going to be somewhat of an up and down experience. So let me ask you one of the one of the first uh, main questions um, that I wanted to that we wanted to ask you this morning uh, is: Do you do anything special to prepare for a tournament? I mean, obviously, I know you go out in the, the practice range and and you you know hit some balls and things, but is there anything special that you do to prepare for a tournament? Well, um, I don't know. I will call it special or not, but I have my own, like a journal, um, and I try to write something down that can remind me for the whole week or for the next day. I will try to write down something every day so I can learn or I can, like, prepare myself for the tournament. Let's say after I play the practice round, I will write down like a few things I need to notice or like what should I do like putting or is there anything specific I need to work on the next morning before I tee off. I think that's the thing that's right. Kind of different than anybody else. That's a great, you know what, that's something that a lot of our um, amateurs that are tuning in this morning uh, can really uh, take note of because that's very very important because most amateurs of course as I'm sure you've played in some pro-ams uh, they just sort of show up and they might hit a couple of warm-up shots and then they're out in the golf course uh, in the pro-am events and a lot of times they struggle out there because they don't really have a good game plan so this this kind of helps you uh, prepare a good game plan because you you already know what you're doing well but it also gives you a little uh, you know in this journal you can write down some of the reminders that say okay uh, I need to make sure that I I do this or I do that, uh, you know, when I'm on the putting surface, as an example, or when I'm chipping, I need to make sure that I keep my weight, uh, you know, lean forward maybe a little bit or something to that effect. So that gives you some good mental cues to prepare for, correct? Yes. I mean, the uh, interesting part of golf is you never know what you're going to encounter on the course. You never know where your shot is going to be. But, like, for me, at least I prepare the most I can. So um, when I go out there, if there's something that I already think of, I, I know how to deal with it. Instead of I go on the course right. and I don't know which part of the golf course is dangerous and I just aim right at it. 
and that can cause a lot of trouble. Right. Well, well said. That was very well said. Um, now, do you, uh, Rajin, do you favor any particular ball flight as an example? Do you, are you a typical drawer of the ball, or do you tend to fade the ball a little bit more? Well, my ball flight, I would say 80% will be a draw. I didn't do that purposely. It just comes naturally. Um, I'm sorry, I missed that. It, it, it cut out just a little bit. Can you repeat that? So um, I would say 80% of my ball flight is a small draw. I mean, I didn't do that like okay. purposely, but it just comes naturally. Right. Well, that's that's a good natural ball flight to have, let me tell you. That's fantastic. So let me ask you something then, uh, Rajin. When you're out in the golf course, obviously there are going to be holes that you're going to be playing that maybe favor a fade off the tee. Um, obviously you're able to hit them, but your natural ball flight, as you said, is, is sort of a small uh, uh, draw. Are there some holes that don't, uh, as they say, fit your eye, that you get out there and say, well, that's not really a hole that I'm comfortable with, and, and if so, how do you handle that? Well, in that case, um, I know how to hit a little fade, but I will say I'm not good at it. So um, I would just right. maybe try to hit a three-wood off the tee because it's more accurate. I mean, leave like 20 yards short and then have a longer right. approach shot or like maybe just aim in the middle of the fairway with your driver. Right. And not and not try to play a specific ball flight. That's a good idea. Yes. That, that's another um, right. That's another good tip for amateurs to to take in. And that that sort of comes in with uh, the strategy of your play. Um, when you when you're faced with something that maybe you're not 100% comfortable with, rather than trying to do something uh, that's going to cost you strokes, you choose a smarter route or a smarter option, if you will, by either laying up a little bit, hitting a, a club like a three-wood, uh, or not trying to shape the shot and, and, and just stick it to the middle of the fairway, which uh, we all want to do <laughs> whenever we can. So that's, that's very smart yes. on your part to, to be able to have some strategy. Go yes, ahead. I mean, also I don't want to be, like, too aggressive. And then if, like, right. fade is not my favorite ball flight, don't really try to force it because normally that won't bring a good result. <laughs> Right. Well, and that's what I mean is, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of our amateur golfers, and I'm, and again, I'm sure you've seen this playing in a pro am uh, from time to time, that are not very good with their driver, uh, and they'll get on a hole that's a very difficult shot, uh, you know, off the tee, and instead of doing what you've done and play smart and maybe hitting a lesser club just to keep it in play, they'll pull out that driver anyways and end in all kinds of trouble. Uh, when you're in a pro-am and you see uh, maybe after a couple of holes how somebody handles themselves, do you try to interject some, some help and say, you know what, maybe you need to, to hit a hybrid here or maybe you need to hit your three-wood here instead of taking the drive route. This is not a good hole for you. Do you kind of uh, – you might word it better than that, but uh, do you kind of do that once in a while to help them out? Well, um, that's a good question because sometimes um, people – just want to do what they want because we are having fun out there. It's not about the score. Sure. We just want to have fun on the golf course. And uh, if the people don't, like, if my guests don't ask me what should I do, I wouldn't say anything about right. their strategy or swing. I just want them to have fun and enjoy themselves. But if right. they ask me, I will, if I see there's something they can change in their maybe alignment, I will tell them, but not something like, super big like the swing itself i wouldn't say anything about that because that's that might mess them up for the rest of the round right right yeah and then they then they wouldn't be too happy uh when they come in on, on hole number 18 if they've had a bad round uh, no that's a that's a smart idea too not i mean obviously you want to wait until you're asked but um you know sometimes it might be nice on little things maybe to interject some some thoughts if you think it'll help but yeah you're right sometimes you have to stay back and just let them enjoy the the round and, and if they ask you for help then then that's a little different story are you working with a coach right now do you have a swing coach or uh you know somebody that helps you with your game yes um so i'm um recently live in orlando florida and okay. I practice at Lake Nona right. Country Club, and my coach is um, Gregor Jamison. 
he is um, oh, wow. the coach at Lake Nona Country Club. Yeah. Wow, that's a very uh, a very nice uh, very nice country club to uh, to to play at. Now, is there anything that he has uh, specifically helping you work on? Is there an area of your game that maybe sometimes you struggle a little bit? That that he's saying, okay, Rajin, let's let's work on this today to to try and tighten that up a little bit. Um, so recently, for the past few months, um, we didn't really work on like some really significant change in my swing, but there's some like a little offset on my alignment, my posture, like just okay. pre-shot routine. That's what we try to stick with. Because sometimes when I go out for four weeks in a row playing tournament. Those little things can change, right. and that can lead to a really big problem. So when I head back sure. for like a week off, I, we will always check those things first, and that's what we've been working on the most. Okay. Um, is that, do you think, um, or is there another part of your game, uh, Regine, that is – gives you the most difficulty what what gives you what's the hardest part of your game is it are you do you struggle with your short game uh or are you struggling sometimes off the tee what area gives you the most trouble so um i will be honest with you the, i think the biggest reason why i won last week is because my putting has been super corroborating with me and uh, it's not always oh. like that so i would like to keep my putting level like a little higher also, my chipping. Right. Chipping is not always my, like my good. So, short game is okay. the part I want to work on the most. Right, and I think that's something. Wouldn't you agree that, that I think most people, amateurs and and pros alike, um, that's an area that we really need to focus on probably the most because that's that's the scoring end of the game. I mean, you know, hitting a nice tee shot's great, and it's nice to hit it long and far, but you're only hitting so many tee shots in a round, whereas you're hitting probably upwards of 60 to 70% of your shots uh, are within 150, uh, even a hundred yards in. Uh, would you agree with that? Do you think? Yes, I'm totally agree. I mean, if you have a good swing and you like your eye in the woods is good, it's only going to give you like an opportunity to, to birdie, to Eagle. But in order to do that, you have to put it right. Right, right. That That's right. Cause you can get, you can get on the green, every green and two, but if your putter doesn't uh, hold up through the week, that can cost you a lot of strokes. Um, what do you do, uh, Rajin, in a round um, when something's not going well? And, and I, I'm going to use the term when the wheels fall off the bus. So in other words, you're going along, everything's going well, and suddenly you have a really bad hole. Mentally, how do you get through that mo- moment and get yourself refocused on what you need to do how do you overcome that little maybe you you shoot a double bogey or or something on a hole or even a triple bogey you have a really bad hole or maybe even a couple of holes how do you mentally wrap your mind around that get past it and continue on without letting it uh, bring down your whole round well getting through that kind of issue I think is the most difficult part of this game because if you have a double, if you have a triple, it's going to stay in your mind for quite a while. And um, honest with you, I'm I'm not that good of getting rid of those things. So what I will do and what I'm trying to do is after I have a bad hole, I will stand on the next tee box and then I will think about what I did wrong. And um, I will think about what should I do in the future hole to how to prevent it and just try to forget it as much as I can. I mean, if I cannot, play along with it. And I mean, because I don't want to force myself to forget about that thing. If I do that, I'm not going to forget it. So I'm just trying to play along with it as much as I can. Well, that's fantastic, and that's a great great way to, to handle things. Um, so let me ask you uh sort of a, a, a um, one of the final questions I want to ask you. What's one of the hardest parts of playing on tour? Uh, and I'll give you an example. Is the traveling uh, difficult for you at some time? Because you're, you're kind of all over the place when you have to travel from place to place. Um, is that something that's one of the hardest things for you to handle on tour, or is there other aspects? 
Well, travel is pretty hard on us because um, both my parents travel with me. And uh, because right. I'm Chinese, and um, I already get used to, sure. like, you know, Chinese food and everything. And um, food right. is one of the biggest problems I also have. So that's why my mom and dad both travel so we can, you know, do a vacation rental so we can cook our meal instead of going out to eat all every single time. And uh, I have to thank them for that, helping me out. And uh, also I think fitness. Fitness is a big part because I had a I had a surgery at the beginning of the year, and I'm still trying to recover from it. And it's it's pretty tough, I have to say, because when you play four weeks in a row with uh, still try to recover from the surgery, I will say I get tired pretty easy. My apologies, Reiji, and I for some reason uh, got cut out here and my mic went dead. So I, I missed a little bit of what you had said, but uh, generally you said that, that some of the traveling uh, is difficult, obviously because um, of the food and, and things, but you I understand, I guess your parents, because they travel with you, that helps a little bit because you can kind of have some home cooking along the road. Is that what basically you were saying? Yes. Yes. That's one part. And the second part is um, fitness. Cause um, I had a, surgery at the beginning of the year and uh, I'm still trying to recover from it so when we play like four weeks in a row I get tired pretty easy at the last two and that's something I really want to work on and give back on like like previous year because right now I'm really in a condition I would say pretty tired right right exactly and and I can see how that would be uh, a challenge week in, week out. Cause it- Hello, Ted. Yes, I, my apologies. I'm not sure what's happening. I'm having a technical issue here, so I apologize. I don't know what's happening. It keeps uh, uh, canceling my uh, my line. But um, uh, Regine, I'm I'm going to have to let you go anyways because we're we're at the end of that segment. But I appreciate you coming on and congratulations on uh, your win this past weekend and good luck this week uh, in in the next event. I hope uh, I hope you have another. Uh, successful uh, uh, round and uh, are able to pull it through this weekend as well. Thank you so much for everything and have a good rest of your day. All right, you too. Thank you very much, Raisin. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Raisin Lu. I apologize for that. Uh, I'm not sure what's uh, been happening here, but um, – my uh, my line seems to be uh, giving you some some problems and cutting out here. So uh, hopefully everything will uh, will be a little bit smoother here. And, and also apologies, I'm not sure uh, Cindy is uh, for some reason not able to join us this morning. I've uh, tried to uh, reach out to her and see what uh, what the issues are and have not heard back. So I'm assuming that she's run into an issue and and uh, perhaps is not going to be able to join us this morning. Um, while we wait for um, the next guest this morning, Maria uh, Palazzola, who is one of the top uh, 50 LPJ teaching professionals uh, from really 2008 to present. Uh, she's uh, done a phenomenal job. She's also a Golf Channel Academy leader, uh, lead instructor, and also the head professional uh, for the Missouri Athletic Club. Let me just tell you some of the other things uh, that she has uh, done and accomplished. Uh, some of her playing credentials, uh, she's uh, won the uh, 2014 LPJ Midwest Pro Pro, uh, also won the 2002 Illinois Open, uh, also qualified for the 2000 LPJ Championship, and uh, she has also won the LPJ Midwest Section Championship in 1999, and in 93 she won the Missouri State Amateur. So lots of uh, wins and, and lots of uh, other uh, well-placed uh, finishes as well. And uh, I'm just going to very patiently wait for her and hopefully won't run into another technical issue. And again, I apologize for that. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, my line has, uh, has dropped a few times here uh, recently. So hopefully everything will be fine now. Um, 
don't forget to tune in every uh, Tuesday morning. Let me remind, remind everybody to, to uh, tune in every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network, and uh, you'll find us here. And for some of you that uh, maybe are not able to join us during the live broadcast, um, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, and uh, you can scroll down to the on-demand section and find all of the previously aired shows, including today's, uh, in their entirety in the recorded version. Or you can also go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now TuneIn.com. And again, just type in Women of Golf, and that will take you uh, there as well. Um, you can also reach out to Cindy or I. Uh, Cindy's email is Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. And mine is Ted.GolfTalkLive at gmail.com. And uh, speaking of which, don't forget to tune in this Thursday uh, to, blo- uh, to the BlogTalkRadio.com network, and you will find uh, Golf Talk Live there from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. And I've got another great round of Coach's Corner. Going to be starting the show off for the first hour. And then I've got a, a good uh, friend from Canada, Rob Bernard, a uh, CPGA professional, is going to be joining me uh, on the second half of the show. So you want to make sure you tune in for that. So that's this Thursday uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on the blogtalkradio.com network. All right. Uh, as I said, uh, I've got a great guest coming on the second half of this show, and I see that she's ready. So let me just tell you, again, remind you a little bit about her, and then uh, I'll bring her out. Uh, her name is uh, Maria uh, Palazzola, and she's a top 50 LBJ teaching professional and uh, also a Golf uh, Channel Academy lead instructor. She's also the head professional uh, for the Missouri Athletic Club. Uh, many, many accolades, which I've read out already uh, on the show. So let me just bring her out, and we'll, uh, we'll start the conversation. Good morning, Maria, and welcome to the show. Hey, Ted, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm not a problem. Um, first of all, let me just tell you, I'm, I'm not sure what happened to her, but for some reason, Cindy uh, is not joining us this morning. I don't know. I've tried to reach out to her a couple of times, so she may have run into a problem. So it's just going to be you and I this morning. I hope you don't mind. Uh, okay. But I appreciate yeah, no you uh, joining me. Sure thing. All yeah, right, I so know let's she's, talk uh, about traveling. Yeah, I figured that's probably what it is. And uh, she's, as she always says, she's got so many plates spinning at, at once that uh, sometimes it's a little difficult to navigate. So, um, but not right. to worry. I promise you, you're in good hands. You're in good hands. Uh, all right, Maria. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you. Um, first and foremost, obviously you have a, a very well accomplished career thus far and continuing in your journey. Um, what is it that drew you to the golf game? When did you start uh, showing an interest? How, you know, how old were you when you first started playing golf? And what specifically uh, drew you to the teaching side? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, actually an interesting question. I mean, I remember uh, my first swings being in the backyard. Um, I was the youngest of seven kids. And I was the youngest by nine years. So uh, my parents were older. My dad loved uh, the game, was very passionate about it. And, um, you know, I got, often got stuck kind of being toted around with my mom and dad uh, to, uh, you know, we'd go on vacation. They would always want to play golf. And when it was, uh, you know, Sundays or weekends, they always wanted to go out and play golf. So they kind of would tote me along. Um, and they threw me in a junior golf program actually at the age of seven. So I started playing in uh, little tournaments and such. But Honestly, I was very into team sports. I was a big basketball and soccer player. Um, and I think like most uh, girls, um, I really liked the more team and social aspect of those sports um, versus golf until I was about 12 and um, started to get a little more interested in golf, but really didn't think about it competitively until I was about 15. And I actually see that with a lot of the young girls that I teach today. It's really around you know right. 12 to 15 that a lot of them really start to – want to be good at golf and want to compete at it. Whereas with the boys, it happens a lot younger. Right. Now, let me ask you something, um, you know, as a woman, because you have obviously have a a different uh, perspective perhaps than what I might have, but you know, you and I kind of grew up in in a similar background. You know, I started very, very young. My father was, you know, actually my mother and father, but particularly my father was very interested in golf and got me out there, you know, on the practice tee, if you will, at a very, very young age. I was probably earlier than seven years old uh, and, you know, chipped in the backyard, that sort of thing. So we were introduced to golf very early on. But there are a lot of, especially with some of the generations out now, a lot of youngsters that are not introduced how do we introduce them at an earlier age? What can the industry do, if you will, to make that change? I know there's a lot of junior golf programs out that are great, but 
there's not really an introductory <laughs> program like there is for soccer or for basketball in the school systems. What can we do, do you think, to change that? Yeah, I think, um, and I'm in St. Louis, I think, it, I think that's slowly growing. I mean, there's some things uh, like my company, St. Louis Golf Lessons, we do after-school programs now. So um, whereas the, like, the first T program and the PGA has gone into some public schools and done some instruction in the PE classes, we're actually targeting even all the private schools and going in and doing programs after school. Um, we also have a program here called CYC Golf, which uh, traditionally starts, um, <clears throat> excuse me, ages uh, or fifth grade and up. But now I see them starting to actually do clinics and programs for the kids younger um, than fifth grade just to right. get them introduced. And so I, I think it has a lot to do with schools. I really do. I mean, because outside of schools, yeah. we're doing so much. The PGA, the LPGA, we've got all these Grow the Game initiatives, you know, LPGA Girls Golf Club, uh, PGA Junior League, right. um, you know, first tee. So I, I feel like outside of the schools, it is being done in the summer. But if your family's not interested in golf and your parents aren't interested in golf, you might not get that summer education. But if we throw it in the schools, you're going to get it no matter what, you know. So I think that's probably the best avenue yeah. for that. Yeah, and I would agree with you 100% because, you know, like so many other traditional sports, kids at a very, very early age are exposed to that. Golf, they're not, unless, it, as you said, unless it's something sort of bred into their family dynamics. Um, you know, at, at, you know, grades two, three, and four, they don't really see that experience. So until they, you know, get outside of the school system, um, again, whether it's through family or some other activity, they're not really being introduced to golf. And if we don't get them at that younger age, by the time they hit that 12 to 15 age, if they haven't been introduced to it, it's very difficult to get them interested in something they know nothing about. Would you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree. And, and I think I was just thinking as you were talking that, you know, access has always been a, a big issue because not everyone can join a private club and um, a lot sure. of public courses are closing. And if you think about it, and again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of my town, St. Louis is a huge soccer town and we have, soccer right. fields uh, that have been built and donated by, you know, I think Anheuser-Busch is one of them and a big car dealership is another one. And it's like, if we can get uh, par three golf courses built and donated, you know, that kids can have access at a very young age, um, then they're going to get a chance to actually get on the golf course and play the game because the courses that we do have, the, the, you know, public courses that we do have in the area are so boggled up with, um, all the different programs that are right. running there, and then regular play. So I think access is actually a huge issue as well. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, you know, one of the things, and I've said this many times on, on both of my shows, um, you know, one of the things my father did, he took me to an executive style or a par three course when he was first teaching me the game, um, you know, before I got to go to the country club, if you will, because he wanted me to understand the fundamentals and that, and he wanted me to learn in an environment that was going to show some early success. Because if you get out in, in some of the big courses and things like that at an early age, it can be very uh, overwhelming. The holes are long, and, and uh, you know, if you're not, you know, got any skills yet, it, it can be a little bit uh, of a daunting challenge. So I, I like the fact that, you know, what you're saying is about, you know, opening up some of these par threes and some of these executive-style courses to as a learning ground for, for new people. You know, and, and because there isn't as many available as there once were or you know because they're closing up um it's making it harder and harder for the industry i think to really grow the game what, what do you think oh no i totally agree and i i mean looking at you know my area i can think of just uh three um par three or executive courses that are public um in the whole area three maybe four if you go out you know right. a little bit further west um, and again, those get bogged down, you know, if they've got a CYC tournament that day or they've got something else going on, there's not always access to get on them on the weekends. Um, but land of course right, is right. an issue. So <laughs> I think like most cities, most right. towns, you know, if you're going to build more courses, you're going further and further out, you know, so people have to be willing to drive, but, um, everything you said, uh, a second ago about, uh, you know, taking them to a smaller course and not intimidating, that's the exact same thing we do with beginner golfers, you know, women and men. So it's not yep. just kids. You know, we, we don't want an adult to come sure. into the game and throw them out on the championship golf course and get them frustrated because then they're going to leave the game, you know, rather quickly. So I think it's, uh, it's right. all and beginner that, golfers, really. 
Yeah, and, and that, that's exactly what unfortunately does sometimes happen is they get out there, and, it, and it's a challenging game. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's probably, if not the most, one of the most challenging games out there uh, to learn, and it can be difficult. But, but with proper training and, and guidance from, from your fellow uh, professionals, um, it's something that can be overcome and, and, and bring a lot of uh, you know, fun and, and enjoyment. But, uh, again, it's, it's a matter how we approach this. So let me ask you, um, obviously there are a lot of different current issues uh, surrounding the game right now. Are there any that you can think of that concern you that, that maybe we're not going in the right direction as an industry uh, or that you, changes that you'd like to see make um, that maybe are either you know, moving at a snail's pace? Is there anything that you can think of offhand that, uh, that maybe you'd like to see do a little bit differently? Um, you know, I think, uh, and this might be a little bit, um, in contradiction to what most people think and, and maybe where you're wanting to go with this, but I actually think, in my opinion, we have too many conflicting programs and that's coming from a, a teacher's standpoint is I feel like the PGA right. has PGA junior league, the LPGA has LPGA USGA girls golf. And then there's the first tee and, um, then I run a program called the USA Junior National Team. I run a chapter, you know, of that here in St. Louis. And um, as an instructor, you want to be able to offer everything you can to uh, your kids. You don't want to not have a program, let's say, and, and have to send them somewhere else because the course down the street runs that program. But it's, it's, to me, it's getting very diluted and, and everybody's sort of competing uh, for juniors. And I think if there was a way to, uh, sync all of that up a little bit better, and I don't know what the answer would be to that. Um, but if right. we, uh, all had a different target market, let's say, um, that would be better because i I'm actually finding the, the, the parents that do want to get their kids into the game confused. Um, I get questions all the time, right. you know, they're, they're saying, what, what should, should I put my kid in PGA junior league? Should I put them in CYC golf? Should they go to the USA, you know, national coaching program? You know, where do they go? You know, and then and then there's a lot of confusion, even though there are a lot of tournaments and events out there for them. There's a lot of confusion on, OK, where where should I which, you know, should I go to the hurricane tour? Should I go to uh, U.S. Kids Golf or my local PGA section? You know, they don't know where to go. Um, and so I think if there was yep. there was some way the industry as a whole could organize that better and uh and make it you know known okay if your kids at this level these are the programs that are good for you then when they get to this level go to these programs um it just seems to be a little right. more organized i think it's overwhelming well and, and i think you hit it on the head i think because you have so many different sections across the country and a, each section wants to kind of um you know create their own program if you will um so what happens is they get an issue of going you know, it, it's maybe it's very successful, and they want to, you know, sort of broadcast that through the rest of the uh, the nation. But then you get somebody else over here that does something entirely different. They want to do the same thing, and and again, there's not really a lot of communication. I, I want to share a couple of things, and I want to get your thoughts on this. This is uh, some conversations, much like you and I are having, that I've had with uh, some fellow professionals, and they, there were two different sort of little surveys they did. One was from a fellow uh, golf professional that was out in California recently. And he uh, had the opportunity to have a conversation with a hundred middle schoolers and <laughs> given this scenario. And he asked them this question and he wanted, you know, some feedback. And he said, if you had for the next five days, and of course referring to school days, if you had an afternoon uh, after school activity to do, each day something different what would you pick and out of those hundred students and this is really the sad part not one student picked golf ah yeah so that, huh? now this is this i is guess mid, that's not surprising school, you know? so you, it's not you, that mainstream right and 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 what what that really says to me is what we talked about earlier is the fact that they're not getting introduced to it early to be given and considered an option I mean, that, you know, I, I could understand if there were a few uh, or, you know, even a third or something, but to not have any out of 100 students, and randomly, this is not like they weren't pre-selected or anything, it was just 100 students, not one of them on any of those days picked golf as, as an, you know, an after-school uh, activity. So that tells yeah. me right there that the, that the industry is not integrated enough into um, that youth, if you will, to, to get them to, to be interested in it. 
The other one was even uh, as equally disturbing. Um, I had another friend of mine out, happened to be out in California, and he had about, uh, I think, about 30 uh, millennials. And he asked them specifically about golf, uh, what they thought of golf, and two-thirds of them came back with the response, it's not fun. That was <laughs> equally disturbing. That was an equally disturbing, and I, I always believe in being honest on the program, because, again, that's a message that they're perceiving. Now, obviously, we know it's not true, but we're in the industry. So how do we overcome each of those hurdles? I mean, we've already talked a little bit about the first one. I mean, I think getting into school programs earlier, I think, would help solve a lot of the, the first one. But here we've got a group of millennials who are obviously a little bit older that don't perceive our, our, our game as fun. How, how do we combat you know, that? Uh, I, uh, you're asking me to quote on a generation that I just don't understand. Me neither. The millennials have been a mystery to me for quite a while. I mean, uh, you know, people like to joke about them in social media and stuff, and, and pretty much every joke that right. comes across, I'm like, yep, yep, I've seen that. You know, I have um, – I have a boatload of nieces and nephews. I've got 20 nieces and nephews, and I think, I think all 20 of them are millennials, and I, I love them all dearly. Um, but there's a lot of things about them I, I don't understand, and their generation. And I've employed millennials that I don't understand. Um, uh, just the fact that they would say something is not fun is, just shows me how they lack creativity and ingenuity. I mean, you yeah. know, they can't create their own fun and have a good time uh, being out with friends on a beautiful day out in nature uh, then to me, there's, there's mm-hmm. honestly, there's something wrong with them, you know? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's the game. Um, I, I think maybe, you know, right. I don't know, maybe everybody points to video games. Maybe they're used to that constant um, simulation and that constant feedback and they're not capable of actually slowing down and, um, and creating their own, you know, their own atmosphere and their own fun. Um, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's something, like I said, I can't, I can't right. even really comment on that. <laughs> Well, I, I would I would agree, uh, you know, 100% with what you just said. You're, you're exactly right. I, I don't figure them out either. But here's a theory that I have, and, and I don't know if it's right, but it's one that I've I've sort of pondered a little bit. I think uh, you're exactly right. One of the ways that I think the industry has tried to reach out to the millennials is, of course, through the video market, uh, because most of them are on some form of social media. So they've come through with with um, you know things like revolutionary golf and that to, to get into that market. Um, because they figure, well, that's where the kids are going to be, so let's come out with some video product, uh, you know, teaching tips and drills and things like that uh, to try and entice them. But I think there's a bigger problem, uh, and I've talked to a few millennials myself over the years, and, and this is some of the feedback that I've gotten, and we'll see if maybe you've had something similar. The perception that a lot of that generation have of the golf industry and I'm, I'm taking away the teaching side of it i'm talking about obviously the tours their exposure to golf is what they see on tv and what they see on tv are the various tour players the elite players of golf and what it says to them is this is not a sport or a game for me i will never play at that level so i'm not even going to try so it's not of interest to them they have other interests that, you know, whether it's playing video games or going out hiking or whatever it is they want to do, but golf is something that they don't see, uh, again, unless it's sort of brought into the family dynamics, as, as a, an option for them to even consider. So it leads to me to the question, is maybe some of the marketing that the golf industry is doing, is it too focused on the tours and that elite level and not about um, maybe maybe it should be more geared at families. I'll give you a good example. Years and years ago, Las Vegas, Nevada, of course, was the gambling capital of the world. And it was always the, you know, the heavy gamblers and things like that. Well, they actually made a change a number of years ago in how they wanted to attract people. And what they did is they started creating a family-friendly environment. Now, some may agree or disagree with that, but if you look at how Vegas is today, um, there's shows, there's activities that circle around the family and it worked. They got more families traveling to Las Vegas as opposed to just your traditional gamblers. Um, 
does maybe the golf industry need to take a more uh, approach along those lines and gear its marketing and advertising more towards families and towards that generation uh, to make it more appealing and let them know that, hey, this is something for you too. It's not just the tour players. That's just one aspect um, because it really only represents about 1% of the, of the industry. What, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I can see both sides. I, I can I can kind of see that side. I mean, um, our our parents, you know, my dad was a World War II generation. I mean, and they grew up and, and they, they did see, you know, Hogan and especially Nicholas, you know, um, and those sure. guys doing extraordinary things on the golf course. And that didn't, um, you know, thwart my dad's passion for playing the game or wanting to be better. You know, I think it, it encouraged them. And again, I don't know if that's a generational thing, if they thought, well, I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep working hard where the millennials are like, Oh, it's too hard. I'm just going to quit. Um, you know, but right. the other thing I think about what you're saying is, you know, I would see as a kid, I would see an NBA player that's six, seven, you know, dunking. And I was a basketball player. And to me, that would be right. way less achievable than watching Jack Nicholas make a birdie. So if right. they're watching all these basketball players do extraordinary things and they're still playing basketball, then, then I would say that's probably not the answer, in my opinion, um, because that, that seems right. much less achievable than, than becoming a good golfer. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, uh, lots of PGA Tour players are 5'7", five, 5'8", five, you know, making it on the tour, little guys. Yeah. Um, so, yep. again, watching basketball or football or whatever, to me, that seems more physically impossible than becoming a good golfer. So I don't, yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, I really don't know uh, if we'll ever solve the problem of the millennials, to be quite honest. And I don't mean that disrespectful to any millennials that are tuning into the show. Um, but, you know, they are a different uh, breed for sure. But I think also one of the other things that was brought to my attention, and I think this is general across the board, but maybe even more so in their generation, and that is the time factor. A lot of people, time restraints, uh, there's so many other activities going on. Uh, you know, the, the four to five hour round is just not something in a lot of people's wheelhouse. I mean, we've seen rounds drop across the board just because people have other commitments, family commitments and, and job commitments, what have you. Um, you know, doctors, you know, in the industry used to joke is every Wednesday was, you know, doctor's day on the golf course. Well, that's not true anymore. A lot of them don't get out and play as much as they used to. So I think time uh, availability is another factor. How do we, you know, what do we do about that? Um, you know, to make it so well, that, you know, you don't have to go and play five hours. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with that, um, that, and, and that kind of rolls it back to having more of the executive courses and courses that are just nine holes and shorter, yeah. you know, that you can get in and out of, maybe they've got a few par fours on them, but you don't have to take all day. Um, and I honestly don't know where the, idea of you got to play 18 holes came from because I mean I grew up even playing at, at a country club but we didn't always go out there and play 18 holes we went out there mostly and just played nine right um and that was back in the 70s and 80s but you know I think I think things like fashion and everything else it's, it's very cyclical you know I think of my older brothers and sisters that were raised in the 60s and 70s they were all exposed to the junior golf yeah. program at the club but it wasn't cool back then country club stuff right. was very uncool in the 70s and my brothers rebelled against right. it um, and some of them now regret, as they're older, the fact that they didn't learn to play when they're young. So we could just be in a cycle like that where it's a little bit out of style. But, uh, you know, the, the thing I question about that, too, is, you know, everybody says the game's decreasing and um, we're losing golfers and we're losing players. And I'm, I'm sure those stats are right, but I don't understand them because when I was a junior golfer, nobody played golf. I was the only one in my school, my whole entire yeah. grade. Yeah that played golf. Now, right. if you go to that same grade school, more than half that class has played golfers exposed to it. So I don't know if they're saying, uh, you know, statistically because the population has grown, there's a smaller percentage of golfers. But to me, it doesn't make sense because again, growing up in the seventies and eighties, kids didn't play golf that much in especially in, in less they were at a private club, you know? So now to me, there's right. way more children playing golf than there ever were. So I, I again, I kind of get confused by that. I don't know where the stats are coming from or what they mean. Um, but to me, uh, there's there's far more juniors out there than there ever have been, in my mind. 
<laughs> yeah, they're all over the yeah, place. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're exactly right. No, you're exactly right. Uh, I think the stats can be a little bit misleading. I think there's a lot of other factors. I think also to, you know, because we see a, a tremendous amount of growth, Maria, in international golf. I mean, we see, think of all the players internationally that have come onto the LPGA Tour as an example, um, into junior golf that are coming over here from China, from, you know, Korea uh, and all uh, other nations abroad that are coming in that are excited. Um, and, and some areas that never had, um, you know, typical golf programs are now just booming uh, with all kinds of interest. So I, I think obviously, um, you know, there, there's going to always become somewhat of a saturation in any market of anything. It doesn't matter whether it's a sport or business or otherwise, there's going to be a sort of a saturation period. And then there's sort of a reinventing, if you will, of the process. And then, you know, there's another big boom. So I think we're in that, that, that um, time frame that maybe golf temporarily here in the, in the United States uh, kind of saturated out. Uh, there were a lot of uh, golf courses were being built like crazy. I mean, they're, they're being built like crazy overseas right now. So we know it's not the fact that there isn't a need for it. It's just that we maybe temporarily have tapped out here and we need to find other ways of uh, growing the game and, and getting folks out there. And Top Golf is, is a company, even though it's more along the entertainment side and not really, quote-unquote, getting people to you know, sign up for lessons necessarily, but it's another area of golf to at least get people interested in letting them know, hey, we're out here too. Um, what are some thoughts, in your opinion, do you think um, could really help grow the game? Well, I think, you know, I think you hit on something with top golf because um, it's, it's going to hit a different um, aspect of the game. You know, a lot of people ask uh, me as an instructor and especially as an instructor that works at a driving range, am I, am I worried because top golf is getting ready to open up here uh, this, this summer, this fall. And I say no, because it's really, it's drawing a whole different crowd. You know, it's still, it's still growing the game, but it's, it's growing a different, a different crowd in the game. Um, So I think that's, uh, you know, making it, throwing some more entertainment aspects in there um, are definitely something that, um, uh, you know, it is definitely something that would draw in more players, um, uh, more family type activities where, uh, you know, golf is typically, uh, you know, an outing where the guys go play, you know, um, go play in scrambles, corporate outings and stuff like that. If they had more outings that encompass the whole entire family, um, we get a lot of that request for that for instruction. You know, is there something that we can do as a family together? You know, like my, my husband right. and myself and my children, can we all come out together and do something? Um, so those types of activities, those types of leagues, I think could bring, um, bring more people into the game for sure. I think one of the other things, and, and again, this may be something different in your area. Uh, you may not have the same issue, but I know that, you know, cause we, you talked about some of the courses closing and things like that. I think one of the other problems that I see that could really help is – the golf courses themselves, I think, need to do a better job of reaching out within their communities to get people coming out. And I don't just mean by, you know, offering cheap, uh, you know, uh, golf rates or, uh, you know, slashing lessons, uh, you know, a two for one or something like that. I think they actually need to, you know, have the professionals and have the, the course um, management reach out within their communities and have different events. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a great example. And I thought this was so cool. I had a, a fellow golf professional tell the other night where what they did was they had a special event on their range where they had um, pumpkins put out there and they had, uh, you know, full size uh, images, uh, photo images of the, the golf instructors out on the range. And you got points if you hit them. And it was kind of, they made a fun game out of it and they invited people out and, and, uh, you know, if you hit the pumpkin, uh, you know, you got this, or if it bounced and I think they cut the top off and so it bounced in or something, you got so many points for that. But th- the idea was they were very creative and they made an event and they invited a bunch of people from the community and it was all, you know, uh, put on by the, the golf course. And that, and that was just to get them out there, um, you know, and have some sort of a, a fun event. And obviously there were, uh, they had the instructors out there and you got, you know, 50 points if you hit Bob over here and 100 points if you hit so-and-so down there further down the range. And they made it kind of interesting. So it was kind of a, a shot against the professionals in a way, but in a fun way. And I think that, you know, maybe the golf courses need to be a little bit more creative 
as well uh, in, in how they engage with their community as opposed to just, you know, driving up the lane in the morning, opening the doors and saying, well, here we are, come and play. Um, what do you think about that? Is there something that, that maybe you guys are doing uh, that could be, uh, you know, helpful to some of your other, uh, you know, fellow pros out there? Are you doing things in your neck of the woods that maybe could help them uh, do just that? You know, I think, um, you know, a lot of what you just hit on there, I think the, the private clubs for years have been great at doing things like that. Um, I know um, head pros right. that run some super fun events at their clubs, um, very creative. Um, but I agree with you in that I don't see those things advertised like at the local public course very often or the local right. driving range. Right. Um, you know, so that's, that is something that could draw in just the general public and say, hey, let's, you know, let's go down to the such and such range. They're having this fun event for families or for couples tonight or whatever. Um, right. You know, they could do a exactly. date night thing. So, yeah, and I think that's, uh, and that's um, exactly why Top Golf exists. You know, they're giving people an opportunity to go do something fun as a group um, and have it be more entertainment. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, that's definitely an area that uh, our local ranges and courses could uh, probably draw in more people if they got a little bit more creative. Exactly. And, I mean, you know, I can remember as a youngster in school, you know, one of the, uh, obviously we had, um, you know, wood shop for the boys and, you know, home economics for the girls. Um, and I know a lot of that doesn't exist in the same capacity anymore, but, you know, we were always excited as a school, uh, you know, as a class to, to leave and go somewhere else to take out these things. So, I mean, this is something that the courses could offer as well as, you know, have some sort of an event going on even during school that's, you know, to some of the local ranges and say, Hey, look, you know, bring your classes here during this period. And we're going to have some kind of event, you know, uh, a special type of clinic or, or something like that, that gets them engaged and gets them interested so that when they go home and they say, Hey, you know what? We were at such and such today. We had a lot of fun. It was interesting. It was kind of cool, whatever. Um, and that gets the family sort of jazzed up about it. You know, I think that's some things that maybe need to be done as well. What do you think? Yeah, and we do have some of that in St. Louis. Uh, the range where I work, um, you will see some schools bring in buses out occasionally. Um, I believe it's like their right. PE classes uh, have like little field trips right. out. And then um, a lot of the uh, daycares in our area um, bus kids out. We actually had about three groups yesterday. It took up like almost the whole range. So, um, you know, I think a little bit of that is being done at least here in St. Louis. Right. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, but uh, before we go, I see that, that Cindy has popped in. Cindy, do you want to say a, a quick hello? <laughs> guess, guess what I just did. I didn't realize that I'm an hour earlier in Chicago at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. So I'm like, oh, I'm getting ready to do the show. Well, no, you're not. It's over with. <laughs> wow. Don't tell anybody. That, yeah, it, it happens to the best of us. Well, Oh my goodness! I am so sorry. Well, well you Cindy, missed I'm all the intelligent the things I said. <laughs> Did you? Well, yeah, with Louise Ball, Deb Bangelo, Nancy Henderson, all the LPGA executive committee, we're on our way to uh, Kemper Lakes, where I happened to qualify for the LPGA tour a long, long, long time ago. And um, yeah, it's the women's clinic today, so I'm all excited and. The show is over. <laughs> well, Cindy, we're glad that you were able to come on and share that with us. And uh, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bust you on that one next week. So, um, but um, I'll let you have the final uh, question if you have, if you have some a question for Maria or any final thoughts uh, before we close off. Maria, if you were teeing it up in the uh, KPMG tournament this week, if you were Allison Kurt or Wendy Doolin or Jean Bartholomew, what would you be practicing today? Um, you know, I actually have played Kemper Lakes because I used to live up there. Um, that's that's where it is, you say, and that's where you're headed? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, my memory of it was a little bit long at the time. I don't know if it's still set up that way. Um but, uh, you know, I think with anything else, if you're getting ready to go play in an event of that caliber, you best find out about the greens and 
figure out quick in your practice round what they do, how they roll. Um, you know, I like to divide greens into quadrants in my mind and kind of figure out which, which quadrant the pin is going to be on and what's going on in that quadrant, you know, what kind of slope is there and where the ball feeds and whatnot. So um, I would assume most of those ladies do the same thing, and, and the majority of their focus is going to be on their short game, getting the, the chips rolling around the greens and, and sinking a lot of putts. I totally agree. Well said. Well, ladies, uh, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. Um, but uh, thank you, uh, Maria, for, for joining me this morning. Um, yes, I'll sure give, give you an opportunity if you want to, if you want to let the folks know how they can reach out to you, Maria, uh, if they're interested, if they're up in your area or if they're planning to be in your area, how they can reach out and, and get in touch with you. The best way is just our website, stlouisgolflessons.com. Perfect. And all of the information is there that they can reach out if they want to come and work with you or maybe uh, get you to help them with their game. Well, Maria, thank you very much for joining me again this morning uh, here on the Women of Golf Show. And uh, Cindy, thank you for, for popping in. I know it was uh, uh, an unfortunate uh, adjustment in time, and, and those things happen to the best of us, so no worries. Uh, I, I think I did a good job covering while you were away. So, um, ladies, thank you. Have a great morning. Good luck, Cindy. Uh, have some fun up there. And uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf Show. God bless everybody. and Have a great week. Thanks, Maria, and thanks, Cindy. Yep. Thanks, sure Ted. Thanks for Bye-bye. having me on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.